0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God and how it's always true and how we can always trust it. And Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is able to search the deepest recesses of our heart and untie the thorny knots that have been tied deep inside us knots of bitterness and jealousy, knots of anger and depression, knots in our marriage, knots in our finances. Lord, we pray that we could become men and women who, like Daniel, would be filled with the Holy Spirit and have a reputation for honesty and excellence. Father, we pray that as we look at this particular passage of Scripture that You would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that we could be pointed to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And again, Lord, We pray for Your wisdom, that we could see the Scriptures and that we could learn lessons from them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Daniel chapter 5, where we left off in verse 10, the Queen, because of the words of the King and His Lords, came to the banquet hall. The Queen spoke, saying, O King, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him in King Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit Knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah whom my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they couldn't give the interpretation of the thing. And I've heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom then Daniel answered and said before the king let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation O king the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty glory and honor And because of the majesty that He gave Him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before Him. Whomever He wished, He executed. Whomever He wished, He kept alive. Whomever He wished, He set up. And whomever He wished, He put down. But when His heart was lifted up and His spirit was hardened in pride, He was deposed from His kingly throne and they took His glory from Him. Then He was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast's and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints it over to whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belteshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you praise the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene. Mene tekel. Uparsin, Or Uparsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Teres. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple, put a chain around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old the last time we were together we looked at daniel chapter 5 verses 1 through 9 and you'll remember that there was a great feast a party a ball when belshazzar threw or belshazzar threw a party for a thousand of his closest drinking partners in verse 1 and then we remember the story went from Baal to Gaul when in verses 2-4 through four, when Belshazzar ordered the holy vessels that were taken from Solomon's temple to be used for the most wicked and profane purposes. Now, the wine isn't going to taste any different whether it's from a holy vessel or a pro- or an unholy vessel. But they didn't mind because they wanted to mock God. And finally... It went from ball to gall to call. They called the magicians to interpret the writing and explain the supernatural event. And you'll remember that no one could interpret it. And so the ball, the gall, the wall is now going to lead us all the way to the end of the chapter, the fall. From verse 10 through 31, we see the fall of a man and the fall of a kingdom. And we're reminded of what it says in the New Testament. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will reap. And that becomes, by the way, the large lesson in the chapter. The large lesson in the chapter is we cannot disobey God. We cannot defy God without consequences. And so in this chapter, we're reminded once again of the tragic results when God is ignored, when God is denied, when he is disobeyed, when he is blasphemed. And sometimes we smuggle rationalizations into our thinking. You know what a rationalization is. It's a plausible but untrue excuse of why what we do what we do. It's the permissions that we give ourselves to sin. You've heard the excuses. Maybe you've even given them. I'm only human. God knows I'm only human. God knows and He'll forgive me. God knows and it doesn't matter. I have needs. God knows I have needs. You know with the invention of digital weighing devices some of us have forgotten what scales look like I grew up in a world where you use scales you remember what a scale is in ancient days people would weigh grain and gold and they would put a fixed weight on one side and then the product on the other and the Bible encourages the use of honest scales the idea being a scale is, is an instrument that's used to ensure that a transaction is honest We tell children, maybe you have, two scoops of ice cream. Now, remember what the children do. Well, how big is a scoop? And it all depends on what you use. Do you use the ice cream scooper or do you use the shovel outside? I mean, a shovel is a scoop. (laughs) Has anyone ever said to you, I hate getting on the scales? I hate it. I hate getting on the scales. You know what we really hate is what the scale is saying to us. We don't hate getting on the scale. We we hate the information that the scale is telling us. You have a weight problem. And we hate getting on the scales that God has set in front of us because when we step on the scales that God puts in front of us, it tells us something that we don't really want to hear, and that is that we have a sin problems. Online, I came across a question this morning on Yahoo Answers. The question was, if God is not mocked, how do I manage to mock him day in and day out? First of all, I couldn't believe the question was online. And second of all, I couldn't believe the shocking answer that was given. And I'm quoting it. Yahoo, best answer, chosen by voters, quote, To answer your question, God is not mocked because there is no God to be mocked. This is the same as saying that Santa Claus is not mocked. Now you can mock the idea of God, which apparently is what you've been doing with fantastic success, unquote. The person's mocking God. And they have no idea. They have zero idea that there is a God who... Records everything. It's not just in electronic space. It goes online and then it's used by preachers like me. And then I talk to people like you. But then we realize something, don't we? That the world is filled with people who mock the existence of God, who mock the revelation of God, who mock the communication of God, who mock the promise of God who mocked the judgment of God. Hopefully, we're going to glean some principles from this chapter as we look at Daniel's reputation in verses 10 through 12, Daniel's separation in verses 13 through 16, and Daniel's proclamation in verses 17 through 28. We begin with the fame or the reputation in verse 10. Let's read it again. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. Now, remember, This queen isn't one of the wives or concubines. And she says, the queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. Remember, he is troubled. He's thrown the party. A thousand of his friends are stone drunk, a hand With no body has come out of nowhere and written these strange words on the wall. No one has been able to decipher them. And some scholars have disputed the identity of the queen. Who is this? Is this the queen mother? Um, It could be the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. It may be the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, who would have been the wife of Nabonidus, which would would have been Belshazzar's father. And according to historians, we know that her name was Nitocris. So the queen gives the customary greeting to the royal monarch. "O king, live forever. But what do we know? He's going to be dead in a few hours, isn't he? He's not going to last very much longer. And by the way, we've talked about that thought, it should grip your heart on a daily basis that one day you will die. I'm not saying that you should have a morbid fascination with your own death, but what you should do is you should be constantly aware that every morning that you wake up, it could be the last morning that you the last cup of coffee that you have, the last breakfast, the last lunch, that your life is not your own. She certainly was familiar with Daniel's fame and and with Daniel's reputation in a crisis. And in verse 11, look what it says. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the Holy God. And in the days of your father slash grandfather, and I already told you that in that particular language there is no name for grandfather, Light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, notice how she emphasizes, made him chief of the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. Now, I want to draw your attention again to the phrase, there is a man in your kingdom. The queen mother describes Daniel in some pretty impressive terms. Even though Daniel has been out of the political loop, For many years, he's remembered as a significant man. Other counselors have tried. Other counselors have failed. But Daniel stands out in a crowd. And not only is Daniel significant, but he's spiritual. You'll note she says, a man in whom is the Spirit of the Holy God. Who is this Holy God? The One who's revealed Himself in the earlier chapters that we've been looking at. There's something about a Spirit-filled man or a woman. There's something about a Spirit-filled life that is awesome. If you've ever been around a person who loves the Lord, typically when they walk into the room, the whole room gets filled with the presence, if you will. Of God, And Daniel was one such person. Not only is he significant, not only is he spiritual, but he's superior. He has this reputation. Now, one of the things that this should cause you to do is to pause and say, what does it mean to be significant? What does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be superior? In what way was Daniel significant and spiritual and superior remember he has this honest reputation and it should cause you to ask how do people see you not in an unhealthy way where you're you've got this unhealthy preoccupation with with what other people think but what is your reputation what is your reputation in the church and what is your reputation in the community? And look at how she remembers Daniel in verse 12. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he'll give the interpretation. Now I, I like this when she says, inasmuch as An excellent spirit. The phrase is fascinating in the original language. The phrase means a man of surpassing ability. Isn't that interesting? In other words, whoever this guy is and whatever he is, he's the person who stands head and shoulders above everyone else. Daniel is sort of the teacher's teacher. He is the master of the wise man. He stands head and shoulders. And the queen mother remembers Daniel not just as a significant man and not just as a spiritual man and not just as a superior man, but a sensible man. A man who understood things. Look what it says. Full of knowledge understanding, the ability to understand and interpret dreams, solves difficult problems. Do you understand what she's saying? This Daniel has skills. This is a man who's devoted to wisdom and, and discernment. He has the ability to interpret dreams, resolve problems, solve conflicts. Daniel was in the business of dissolving doubts, solving the heart-gripping problems. And I love the way that it puts it, because when it says solving riddles and explaining enigmas, again, in the original language, you know what? The the, the picture that is given is this is a person who has the ability to untie knots where it doesn't seem like they can be untied. Did you ever play a game when you were a kid and you would tie knots into the most... Incredible, different ways, and, and then challenge each other to un- untie them. But the kind of knots that that the text is talking about is the kind of knots that, believe it or not, each and every one of you are familiar with. The hopeless knot of your marriage, the 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 horrible, terrible circumstances of your of your economic circumstances. You may be be in a knot because you have. Depression, or you have bitterness or you have resentment, you have pain and sorrow and your life is tied up in knots and you're constantly looking for someone who can untie the knot of your life and your problems. Daniel was the person who was so devoted to wisdom and discernment. But again, you'll notice something, that he is the person that they go to last. Daniel had the ability to go right to the heart of an issue, to, to go right to the heart of a problem and figure it out. And that becomes part of the point that you want to make in this particular passage of Scripture. Christian, Christian, Christian. Daniel could untie knots, but Christian, remember, you're the one with the answers. The world doesn't have the answers to the problem of pain and the problem of suffering. The world doesn't have the answer to the problem of sin and suffering. The the world doesn't have the problem to your deepest, darkest fears and depression. They may say they do. They may say that they can solve your Problems with drug treatment and therapeutic intervention, the Christian, you're the one with the answer. And the reason why you're the one with the answer, the reason why you have the ability to speak to the pain and speak to the problem and speak to the plague of this generation is because you've experienced grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope in the person of Jesus Christ. i, I got to tell you something. I've spent my whole Life, even before I was a Christian, dealing with people's problems, dealing with people's pain. I grew up in a world where my mother divorced my father when I was three years old. My mother became pregnant with me when she was 15 years old and had me when she was 16 years old. My mother proceeded to have Three additional failed relationships which produced four more children. And before she was 22 years old, she had five children. And I grew up in a world without a father. I grew up in the world where I became the parent. And when you live in a world where you make your own rules, guess what? Sometimes you give yourself permissions that you that a young child shouldn't be able to have. And the truth is that when you live in a world of pain and sorrow and sin and suffering, almost every single problem can be traced to sin and rebellion and disobedience and a failure to follow God's plan and purpose for your life. Don't be alarmed that the world rarely comes to you for answers don't be alarmed that the people of god and the word of god are ignored because guess what there will come a time when the world and its bankrupt system and this world with all of its perverse promises and corrupt practices will fail And they'll remember you. They'll want to know why you have joy in your life and why you've experienced hope and forgiveness in Christ. They'll want to know how you untied the naughty problem of alcohol addiction and drug addiction. They're going to want to know how you beat sexual addiction. They're going to want to know how you managed to survive Failed friendships and failed relationships and suicide attempts. They're going to want to know how you made it. How did you experience such joy and hope? And clearly, Daniel had been left out of this king's administration, but the queen mother remembered Daniel and remembered the role that he had played in the life of her husband-slash-son. Three times she reminds Daniel of his role in the previous administration it's as if she's saying son son, son, if you have one ounce of common sense, if there's one iota of native intelligence inside of your Babylonian brain call for help get help and where's the help going to come from? It's going to come from the man who knows God, loves God, serves God. You may not even know it, but your neighbors are watching you. The people at work are watching you. Your next door neighbor is watching you. They're wanting to know whether or not this thing called Christianity and this person called Jesus and the hope and the forgiveness and the life and the love is real. They they want to know if it's real. And look at Daniel's faithfulness and separation. Look at verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah? whom my father the king brought from Judah. You know what's interesting about that statement? Even in the midst of all of his pain, his fear, he's still trying to contrast his role and Daniel's role. I'm the king, you're the slave. I'm the king, you're the slave. Yes, Christian, I am talking to you, but just remember, I'm your boss. Yes, I'm talking to you, but Even though my marriage is falling apart, even though my life is a mess, just remember, I'm still your boss. Understand? So don't be surprised when the people who have authority in your life come to you. Daniel's brought before the king. Dr. Joseph Parker, one of the great Bible teachers of the 19th century, was a contemporary of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. On this passage, he wrote these words. It's long, but it's worth listening to. Preachers of the word, you will be wanted someday by Belshazzar. You were not at the beginning of the feast. You will be there before the banquet hall is closed. The king will not ask you to drink wine, but he will ask you to tell the secret of his pain and heal the malady of his heart bide your time. You're nobody now. Who cares for preachers and teachers and seers and men of insight while the wine goes around and the feast is unfolding. It's tempting luxuries. Oh, but the preacher will have his opportunities. They will send for him. When all other friends have failed, may he then come Fearlessly independently, asking only to be a medium or a vessel through which divine communication can be addressed to the listening trouble of the world. Isn't that good? All Christian, they're going to call for you. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But they're going to call for you. Because their life is falling apart, and I hope and pray to God that you have something to offer Him. And look what it says in verse fourteen: "I heard of you." I love that. It reminds me of the scene in Tombstone where Curly Bill is hearing about Wyatt Earp for the first time. I'm Wyatt Earp, Texas law, or Kansas lawman. I heard of you. I've heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Christian, I've heard of you. I, I, I heard that you were a person who goes to church. I heard you were a person who prays. I, I heard that you were a person who reads their Bible. I, I heard that you were a person who claims to know God and love God heard of you. (laughs) Look what it says in verse 15. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. Look, this, this is the testimony of the failed philosophy in which we live. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. The king reports that the combined wisdom of the Babylonian brain trust Cannot help him. Do you remember what it says in the New Testament? That things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. You know that as Christians. As Christians, you know you have the wisdom of the world and you have the wisdom of God. You have spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight and you have the so called wisdom of human beings. Each and every time that we've heard about the magicians and the wise men of Babylon, each and every time they failed, the king promises to reward Daniel with the things that motivate people in this world. I'll give you position, I'll give you power. I'll give you possession. Is that what motivates Christians? Power? Position? Possession? It's interesting, Daniel's response. And in verse 16 it says, and I've heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. That's riddles, by the way. That's problems that seem unsolvable, irreconcilable. The reason why I even remind you of that is because there will come someone who will come to you in the not too distant future and they'll tell you that they have a problem that no one can solve. They have a marriage that no one can deal with. They have a son or a daughter who's hopelessly and helplessly involved in a circumstance that there doesn't seem to be any way out of. God's willing to give you. Supernatural insight. keen understanding of how to resolve the problem. And look what he says. Now if you can read the writing and make it known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a, a Mr. T starter set. And you will be named the third ruler in the kingdom. And look at Daniel's response, the fall and the future of Babylon. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. After Daniel's call, he purposes to read the scroll. The first thing Daniel does is he refuses the king's gift Belshazzar promised gifts, but Daniel doesn't want any part of the gifts. I want to remind you that in our study in the book of Daniel, it would seem that he had a great deal of respect for the earlier king, Nebuchadnezzar. But he rejects Belshazzar. There's a series in the Bible that that, that indicates This same principle, many years earlier, Abraham rejected the offer of gifts before the king of Sodom. Many of you remember the story how Lot was taken prisoner. And Abraham put together a team and they went and they rescued Lot. And the king offered to reward Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 14, it says, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that I will take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abraham rich. You'll remember Elijah when he was dealing with Naaman, the the leper, he offered him unimaginable wealth but Elijah refused it. You know what the New Testament says? Freely you've received. Freely give. Will you charge people for hope? Will you ask for money in telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you charge them To look to God and biblical principles to solve the problems in their marriage and solve the problems in their home. I think that's a bad idea. And look what it says in verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Verse 19. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people, nation, language trembled, feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. Daniel is reminding Belshazzar that his... Father slash grandfather was a man who could do what he wanted, when he wanted it, under whatever circumstances he wanted. In verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Who's they? Remember the watchers in the earlier chapter? Angelic beings who are watching human beings in their pride and their folly. The counsel of God took away his sanity. And in verse 21 it says, Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. I've already told you what that means. It means he was naked. Because he was insane, he didn't have enough presence of mind to even put clothes on. And it says, Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. And appoints over it whomever he chooses. In other words, the judgment of God has already fallen on someone in your family. Why haven't you learned the lesson? Look at verse 22. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And we know all of this because we've read the book of Daniel. He's repeating the chapters that we've already gone through. These are lessons that we've already heard about and should have already learned. But you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've brought down the vessels of his house before you, speaking of the holy vessels from Solomon's temple. You and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine with them. In other words, you have done that which is unbelievable. You have invited judgment. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. In other words, it was bad enough that you blasphemously used the vessels of God for your own amusement, but then you started dedicating them to idols who don't see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in His hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Every once in a while, in moments of clarity, when no one else is around, when the voice whispers in your ear, The reason why your heart is able to beat and the reason why your lungs are able to contain air and then expel air, the reason why an aneurysm doesn't break from your brain and cause your body to explode is because there's a living God, there's a real God, who orders and orchestrates every moment of your life. You want to know why you're alive today? Because God has kept you alive. And think back. You remember the time when your life could have and had every right to end and it didn't end because God protected you for whatever reason. I know the reason, in part. It's because He has unfinished business with you. He's allowed you to live one more day. And look what it says. And the God who holds your breath in His hand and owns all your ways... You have not glorified. Since you are so utterly dependent for breath, for food, for sustenance, for health, how could you not glorify Him? People who reject the revelation of God are gambling with their soul. Well, I don't know if there's really a God. I don't know if the Bible's really true. How can we be sure that Jesus really is who he says he is? That means you come here on Sunday morning and listen to the series on John. I want you to note just a couple of things. Daniel begins by reviewing the history and heritage of Belshazzar. You should have known better. God has revealed himself in your past. You should have known better. And again, for some of you, you have a godly heritage. You have a mother. You have a father. You have you have family members who honor God. You should have remembered. The wise and godly Daniel then reminds Belshazzar of his grandfather's failure and foolishness. And then God's response, he then reviews Belshazzar's conduct. And again, Daniel gives Belshazzar two thumbs down. How could you not know this? And then the last thing Daniel does is he rebukes the king's sins. He brings three charges against Belshazzar. He says the king has engaged in premeditated sin. And even though the king knew how his own grandfather had been judged under similar circumstances, he ignored the lessons from his own family. And knowing that God hates pride, knowing that God hates arrogance and foolishness, knowing that the king embraced pride and arrogance and foolishness, he then accuses the ruler of the serious sin of sacrilege by blaspheming, God by profaning the temple vessels and finally he charges Belshazzar with pagan sacrifice and lifting up the holy vessels the utensils from the temple to honor their own gods and he's basically saying to them you're playing a dangerous game and people hate it, they hate it they hate it, they hate it when you bring to their attention that you're playing a dangerous that it's game at what point are you going to go? How long do you think you're going to get away with mocking God? Rebelling against God? How how long do you think you're going to get away with it? It's dangerous. It's dangerous to mock God. It's dangerous to play games with God. And beware when God's creatures mock God the Creator. I've told you this on many occasions. When people come into my office and they go, I'm angry with God, I hide underneath the table. I get underneath my desk and you can't see it, my, de- my desk is covered. I'll go and I've actually done this. I've hidden underneath the table. They come around the desk and they go, Pastor Gino, what are you doing underneath the desk? Don't you fear God? Aren't you afraid that lightning is going to come down and strike you on the head and split it open? No. Ooh, this is a dangerous game you're playing, playing games with God. And this isn't Daniel before Belshazzar. This is Belshazzar before Daniel. Daniel. Like Felix in the New Testament before Paul. Like Pilate before Jesus. You have the king and you have the subject. You have the governor and you have the citizen. And the roles are reversed. The crushing presence of the truth enlarges the prophet and engulfs the willful king. One writer put it this way and I quote, Transfer yourself into the royal banquet hall and listen. There stands the tall and reverent prophet. He has not a word of sympathy for the king in his guilty alarm. His voice, his brow, his words, his composed manner, and solemnity are all in deep accord with the spirit of the who has traced those letters and with the awful sentence in them, he knew he was about to utter the last words the royal sinner would ever hear in this world. Isn't that good? Daniel is speaking. And he's speaking some of the last words that Belshazzar will ever hear. Can you imagine when Pilate stood before Jesus and Pilate said, don't you realize that I have the power to kill you or to set you free? Do you remember Jesus' response? You wouldn't have any power at all unless God gave you that power. And the New Testament says something very interesting. It says from that moment on, Pilate tried to find a way to release him when Paul gave his testimony to Felix in Caesarea and he talked about the power of God to change a life and how Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and Paul begins to plead with Felix and he says, I know that you understand these things and Felix says Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian you remember Paul's response? Would to God that you were exactly like me except for these chains. The last thing Daniel does is he rebukes the king's sin. In the mocking film Bruce Almighty, some of you have seen this movie with Morgan Freeman and Jim Carrey. Morgan Freeman's character um, plays the role of God. And there's a scene in the movie where Bruce basically says Thanks for the Grand Canyon! And good luck with the apocalypse! Now again, it is funny! But you know what? It's mocking God. It's well, I know that the Bible reveals these strange things about God and about the present and about the future, and we live in a world that longs to mock God. And I suspect that Daniel was sickened by the presence of the wickedness. Guess what? He had to be about God's business. and he coldly and communicates the King, the meaning of the message. we all know it. We've said it so many times. Verse twenty four, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, you Different scholars have said different things. A mene can mean half or or um, numbered. Um, Daniel verse twenty-six, this is the interpretation of each word, mene. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. So what's the message? God has numbered your kingdom and will finish it. Moses said in Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. It's in the book of Psalms, but it was Daniel's way of saying to the king, Guess what? Each and every person is appointed a certain number of days, a certain number of weeks, a certain number of years, and there will come a day that your day is up. And for this man, it's that day. Where are you, Egypt? Where are you, Greece? Where are you, Rome? Where are you, Babylon? Where are you, Tyre? Where are you, Sodom? You know what all of those failed kingdoms have in common? They all defied God. And each had a number. And every single person who defies God, who rebels against God, who resists God. Here's the message of the Bible. God has your number. And look at verse 27. Takel. It means weighed. And he says you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. Do any of you love math? Is there any mathematicians in here? At least one, couple, two, three. A few mathematicians. For those of you who love math, The world is based on numbers. Every material substance in the universe is made of subatomic particles, atoms, molecules, chemicals, minerals. Music is based on numbers. Each of our lives, according to the Bible, has a numeric value. Do you realize the Bible teaches that each, just like the hairs on your head are numbered, so is every moment that you're going to spend on the planet Earth. God was saying to the selfish king, not only do I have your number, but your number is up, you're weighed in the balance and fall short. Now this is interesting because we all fall short. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Found wanting, do you know what it means? In the original language, it means you're a little light. And I don't mean L-I-G-H-T in the sense of You're this magnificent light. It means something that's supposed to be substantive is really hollow. Instead of gold, you're a packing peanut. You're a little light. That's the point. It means you're less than the weight expected. Belshazzar's moral and spiritual circumstances didn't weigh enough. I know a guy who says when you die God pulls out a scale and then on one side he puts all of your good deeds and then on the other side he puts all your evil deeds and if your good deeds outweigh your evil deeds, well then you'll be fine. I showed him this passage. This specific passage. No, that's not how it works. You've been weighed in the in the balance and and your deeds aren't good enough. In other words... The king's kingdom was lacking in value. The king's kingdom fell short. We see justice with scale, sword, blindfold. But God is the God of all knowledge and light. He's aware of every act. The Lord God is incorruptibly accurate. And that is the God who weighs us in the balance. And the only weight that is substantive enough to meet the demands of God is the person of Jesus Christ. There's this great thing on YouTube. Somebody showed it to me the other day where people are standing in line and they're stepping on the scales and (laughs) it goes from bad to good enough. And every person who steps on the scale, it's not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And finally, a guy comes in who's received Jesus Christ as, as his Savior and he gets ready to go step on the scale and the Lord says, no, 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 excuse me. And Jesus steps on the scale, and then the, the pointer goes, Good enough. Jesus is the only person who can step on the scale. The scale. In First Samuel chapter two, verse three, it says, Talk no more so proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by Him actions are weighed. In 1 Samuel two three, when it says, you need to be quiet. You need to not be arrogant. You need to close your mouth. God knows everything. And He judges everything. And then in verse 28, Peres, it means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and, and the Persians. This night of revelation, the night of where God breaks into Belshazzar's history becomes a night of condemnation. And by the way, that's the message of this chapter. Revelation becomes condemnation when it's rejected. Oh, I don't believe that the Bible is true. I don't believe that the Gospel is true. I don't believe what Jesus says is true. Can you imagine hearing those words echoing in the halls of heaven? The Lord goes, "Yeah, hey, I have this on tape. I don't believe that the Bible is true. I don't believe that Jesus is true. I don't believe that the gospel is true. Did you say that? Yeah, right. In verse 29, the Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck The Mr. T. Starter said. made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And I've already explained to you why that is. His father Nabonidus is outside of the city and he's the co-regent of the kingdom. You know what's interesting to me about that? He gives the command. He clothes Daniel with purple. He hangs a gold chain around his neck. He makes the proclamation he seems oblivious to his own judgment. This reminds me in the New Testament when Pilate, remember, he goes, Bring me a basin of water. And you remember he he washes his hands and says, I'm not. I'm innocent of this man's blood. As if a basin of water. Would wash away his judgment. That's interesting to me. The king ignores the judgment. I, I find that fascinating. Particularly when I look people in the eye and I say, Do you understand the consequences? of resisting God and rebelling against God and continuing to live a life apart from God and they look me straight in the eye and they go, I'm still going to continue to do what I want to do. Really? I love John Phillips' comment on this passage from verses 24-29. through 29. He asks the question, Why could Daniel read what no one else could read? Why was he able to read the writing on the wall? His response? Because he recognized his father's handwriting. Isn't that good? Remember when the person says to you, How is it that you know so much about the Bible? How is it that you can open up the Bible and turn to the passages and give the promises and talk about the biblical principles and point people to Jesus and remind them of his great love and his willingness to forgive and his willingness to restore? Because it's, it's written in our Heavenly Father's handwriting, isn't it? The whole Bible is written in such a way that we're supposed to understand it. It's not supposed to be an enigma and a riddle. Are there difficult things in the Bible? Yes, there are. But I've got to tell you, the most important things are simple, so simple that a child should be able to understand it. And in verse 30, look what it says, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Herodotus, Xenophon, many ancient historians write in great detail how the city fell that night. I won't bore you with the details. It's a matter of historical record. On the 16th day of Tishvi, in 539 B.C., that's October 11th or October 12th, Babylon fell. You know why I'm giving you the exact date? Because it happened in time and in space. Babylon joined the host of nations that forgot God. The Hittites forgot God. The Assyrians forgot God. The people of Nineveh forgot God. The Medo-Persians forgot God. The Greeks forgot God. The Romans forgot God. Spain forgot God. France forgot God. Germany forgot God. England, whose empire stretched from sunrise to sunset, forgot God. Austria forgot God. You know what all of those have in common? They all had positions of power and significance and then they forgot God in your wildest imagination do you seriously think that the United States will be the exception to the rule why did God deal so dramatically and severely with these nations remember promiscuity among the leaders Profanity against God, the true and the living God. Persistent, perverse commitment to pleasure. Presumption by military leaders. Plain, old-fashioned pride. These were the sins that killed the Babylonian Empire. And killed One of the powerful lessons of this chapter and I want to leave you with this is never underestimate the power of one godly life. We've seen Daniel when he's very, very young teenager. We've seen Daniel when he's a young man. In this chapter, he's probably in his mid-80s. He's fast approaching 90 years old. Daniel's reputation stood the test of time and moreover he maintained his reputation now this is what's really remarkable it isn't just simply that he had this amazing reputation but he has this amazing reputation in the midst of idolatry and immorality and treason but because of his faithfulness God uses him to confront a pagan empire God still wants to use faithful men and women God wants to use people exactly like you. Are you willing to stand firm? Are you willing to be a man or a woman of significance? Of spiritual character? Superior knowledge? Excellent spirit? Willing to... uh, Unravel those thorny knots that plague people. Are you willing to allow God to use you to speak to this generation? Billy Graham once said, I can't be responsible for the generation that went before me. And I cannot be responsible for the generation after me. God's called me to be responsible for this generation what an amazing thing to say. You don't have to speak to the people in the past. You have no obligation to the people in the future. God's placed you here and He's placed you now to speak now. He Daniel lived a life of significance, of spirit-filled obedience, of superior character, sensible practices, skillful understanding, then you know what he refused to do? He refused to sell his soul. And he refused to merchandise his gifts. Let me ask you a question. How many of you can honestly say that there is a man, there is a woman in your life and their godly character and their godly example made a difference in your life? I can. Do yourself a favor this week. Tell them. Send a note to them if you can. Say, you know what? You made a difference in my life. Your presence, your character, your commitment, your spirit-filled obedience, your sensible practices, your skillful understanding made my life better. Trust me, he or she is going to need the encouragement this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray that, that we would learn the lesson of a life, of one godly life lived for Jesus. Lord, I remember the statement of Dale Moody, who, who on hearing a preacher said that the world is yet to see one man or one woman who who has lived a life yielded fully, completely, specifically, unashamedly to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And D.L. Moody in his his autobiography wrote, "I, I, I prayed a prayer under my breath. I prayed, I want to be that man. And Lord, what an amazing contribution he made to the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that there are men and women who are hearing my voice and And they would pray that prayer under their breath. Lord, I want to be that godly man. I want to be that godly woman. I want to live my life. In significance to Jesus. In spirit-filled obedience. With a a spirit-filled character. With sensible practices. With skillful understanding based on what the Bible says. I want to be a man or a woman used by Jesus to make a difference in the life of men and women. And Lord, I pray for each person who's here. I pray that that would be their prayer, that they would not be content to live a life of mediocrity. Lord, I pray that they would dare to be a Daniel. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. To Jesus